Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of To The Point. Everybody's doing well on this Wednesday. And today's episode is entitled Smell Test because are you buying what the goat is selling? And what I'm referring to there is Tom Brady. Are you buying Tom Brady's story? This morning around 10 a.m., I get a pin on my phone. Breaking news, Tom Brady has announced his retirement from the NFL. And I'll fully admit, yes, Tom Brady's 45. Yes, he's done incredible things. He has no reason to keep playing other than just the love for the game. But I was shocked. I thought he was playing in 2023, 2024, hands down. I didn't think twice about retirement. I didn't even give it a thought. I was just thinking of teams he would be playing for next season. But now, here's the rub. Tom Brady has announced his retirement for the second time in a little over a year. February 1st, 2022, Tom Brady retired from the National Football League. He later came back early March and returned to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It is February 1st, 2023 today, if you can believe it. And Tom Brady announces his retirement again in much different fashion on Instagram, in a video. Was that real crying? Was that real emotion? Who knows? Does it pass the smell test, folks? There are different circumstances to last year. Tom Brady's no longer married. Tom Brady is a free agent. He was tied to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into the last offseason, which made it more difficult for him to try to get out of Tampa, which I think he wanted to do no matter how many reports I see. He can go anywhere. Starting March 13th in the new league year, he can sign anywhere. Jeff Darlington did a good job. He's a reporter for the Mothership on NFL Live yesterday, detailing that, yes, you might say it's tampering beforehand, but we saw what happened to the Dolphins with draft picks. Likely not going to happen again, and the NFL is really looking at this type of stuff. So let's take everybody at face value and say, on March 13th, Tom Brady could start chatting with Kyle Shanahan. He could start talking with his old pal, Josh McDaniels. He could chat with the Glazer family in Tampa Bay or whoever else wants to try to acquire his services around the National Football League. He could go anywhere without penalty. And when you have the creative freedom, when you have the freedom in life to do anything you want to do, boy, that's intoxicating. Boy, that sounds like fun. When you can just do whatever the fuck you want to do. Go anywhere you want. Try to get these players to come with you. Boy, howdy, that's a time. But now he announces he's done. Sayonara. He's gone from the NFL. Is he going to work for Fox? Who knows? They got the Super Bowl in a week and a half. Worst case scenario for yours truly is Tom Brady is calling the Super Bowl with Kevin Burkhardt. Why is that the worst case scenario? Because Greg Olson's really good, and I don't think Tom Brady's going to be any good at calling games. Maybe he'll be great. I'll eat crow. I don't think so. His personality is like Pinocchio, but not Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I mean, Pinocchio, the wooden boy. So, 
do we buy this? Does this pass the smell test? Well, you know, everybody, I hate to say that people are not telling the truth. I hate to imply that people are acting untoward or they could have different intentions or they could go back on their previous word. I mean, I would never want that or some, I never would want somebody to do that, but could it possibly happen that Tom Brady says he's going to do something and then does some, does something completely different? It's possible. Always a possibility. And what I'm driving at here is I don't believe it. I don't believe Tom Brady until the new league year passes and every quarterback job is taken. To me in life, there's a simple rule. You trust somebody until they don't give you a reason to trust them. I trust my parents. I trust my close friends because they haven't burned me. I've been burned enough times that it's harder to gain my trust. It's, it might be a weakness in my personality. It might be harder to make friends later in life. But that's something that I do. If you screw me, we're done. If I've seen that you've lied in public, if you've done something before, then why would I believe that your actions are going to be different the second time? I go up people's actions, not their words. So some people might be believing that Tom Brady's done playing football. I think there's a six more than a 60% chance he plays for a team next year. Because why would I believe somebody that's already lied to me? And I'm making this about me, but I'm making this as, as the general public. Why would the opinion be, oh, Tom Brady's absolutely retired? He's done. He's moving on. Why? Why is that the, the takeaway? Just because he said it? My, my podcast is as popular as Joe Rogan's. There you go. It's not true, but I said it. Although I think I'm smarter than Joe Rogan, but nevertheless. Moving on. Tom Brady has nothing to play for, as I, as I stated before. But when somebody is ego-driven, when somebody just can't give up the game... They can tell us every day that they're done doing something. When I've seen somebody do the opposite, I'm going to bank on what they've said before and what they've done in the past. For instance, I got a BioSteel right here. Started drinking them. They're pretty good. If I said this is a Gatorade, wouldn't that be a lie? Wouldn't that be not telling the truth? You know what, I'm going to drink a, a Gatorade today instead of BioSteel. It's gone. Oh, wait, no, there's a there's, there's a BioSteel right here. There's a product placement right there. Anybody watching? Not trying to push advertising on this podcast, but I mean, it's a good drink. I like it. Come on now. But Tom Brady, I don't think he's done. I have no reason to believe it. So I'm not going to do three hours on Tom Brady today, like podcasts I like, like the Dan Patrick show and Get Up and you know, the Dan Levitard show, It's Two Gods, the different programs that I love to listen to. They'll do three hours on this and I'll go listen to their programs. 
but I can't do three hours of Tom Brady retiring today because I don't believe it. Seven-time Super Bowl champ, most passing yards ever, the most successful quarterback ever. I don't think he's the best quarterback ever, but the most successful quarterback to ever play the game. Great teammate, great father, yada, yada, yada. Okay, he's retiring, but I think we'll see him playing in OTAs in two months. Maybe he'll be a Raider. Maybe he'll be a San Francisco. You're telling me Kyle Shanahan gives him a call and says, hey, Brock Purdy's got a torn UCL. He can't play for six months. Trey Lance, I don't know. I want to win a Super Bowl here. You took a Super Bowl away from me as an offensive coordinator. Please come to San Francisco. Let's win one together. I don't think San Francisco should do it, but you're telling me they won't get desperate enough to make that call? I don't think Tom Brady's going to be happy working at Fox, calling games every week. He's not built like Tony Romo, where Tony Romo likes to golf every other day of the year, and then he calls a game. Call 17 games, get the hell out of there. He's done for the year. He's done till September now, Tony Romo. Perfect life for him. If it is the end, you know, it's truly an incredible career. The most successful player in NFL history, one of the most successful players in team sport history with seven championships. He's one of the most respected athletes ever for good reason. And he'll be, you know, he'll be remembered forever. Now, the NFL is in a good place. I was reading on Twitter earlier that with Tom Brady leaving, the NFL is going to be crashing down not even close. Not even close. There's so many good players. There's so many good quarterbacks now. That's the least of the NFL's worry. Also, part of the reason why they don't worry is because they trounced the NBA and they trounced the NHL in ratings. So Tom Brady could be leaving. They don't care. People will watch Brock Purdy. People will watch Nathan Peterman. People will watch whomever chuck a quarterback, chuck a pigskin, rather than throw on another game of Knicks Pacers at 830 in the mothership. They don't give a shit. They'd rather watch that. So to me, this doesn't pass the smell test. I'll let other shows do the three hours. I'm going to do 10 minutes on Tom Brady. If, in fact, he does retire, then I'll revisit this and I'll talk about him in more glowing detail as we get past the new league year in early March. Until then, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, not even close. People don't think this happened. People, you know, the Kyrie Irvings of the world, the think people that there was people that thought that DeMar Hamlin was actually dead and the NFL was faking it. My God, I'm not one of those people. I don't keep my third eye open. I'm not looking for the Illuminati, but I I am seeing this and I'm thinking Tom Brady's playing for somebody. Because why would you believe the boy that cried wolf? He said he was retired last year. He played. Who says he can't do it again? You can retire every year and come back. Brett Favre did it a hundred times. Now, truthfully, I hope Tom Brady retires because he should. 
He's getting worse by the season, and he's not going to get better for him. Plus, I don't want to loop him in with Brett Favre. I hate Brett Favre. So my least favorite athletes ever, not just because of what he's done now since he left the game. I think he's a hypocrite, and he bad most a game of football more than anybody, and he played it forever. But now he says he would never let his kids play and so physical and all this, and he couldn't give up the game. Tom Brady loves it. I get it. It's hard to walk away from it. But if you're saying you're retiring, retire. Make a decision and live with it. Period. Hats off to Tom Brady if this is truly the end of your career. Just this guy is not buying it yet. Didn't expect to get into this today. Well, these next two topics, it's obviously starting with Tom Brady. But I was reading before we went live here about the NHL. Ratings are down in the United States. At this point last year, ESPN, TNT, the major markets were averaging 478,000 per game. It's dropped 23% to 378, 370-something along those lines. And, you know, people are wondering why, and you can look at that. And it was last season was the first year that the NHL was on. The mothership was on TNT. So there was a spark there. There was obviously a boost. There wasn't, it was on NBCSN, which was a, a channel that's not mainstream. You get games on ESPN, you get games on TNT, you're going to get more of a pop, certainly. But why are the ratings down? I have a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, the NHL has never been great at marketing their players. To me, it's one of the biggest faults that they have is marketing their star players. Because I don't think if you went to an average American, they wouldn't know who David Pasternak was. Plays on the Boston Bruins, the best team in the National Hockey League. He's got the second most goals in the NHL. He's a front runner for the Hart Trophy. I don't think they'd know who David Pasternak was. Austin Matthews is the player that they should be marketing the most in, in, the, in the United States. Why? Not because he plays the Toronto Maple Leafs. That doesn't, I wouldn't market the Toronto Maple Leafs in the, in the United States. Who gives a fuck? Market your U.S. teams. But he's an American. He's from Arizona. He's got a look. He's got a vibe. He's got that feel to him. So just his aura itself, not just, and also the fact that he's one of the best hockey players in the world, why wouldn't you market him? American, he's good-looking, he's popular, he's friends with Justin Bieber, who's big in Canada, United States, Beijing, everywhere. He's big. People know who he is. So you're not marketing him. I don't think many Americans know who Austin Matthews is. Americans know Patrick Mahomes. They know more about Justin Herbert than they do Austin Matthews. Period. They do. Patrick Beverly has more of a presence than almost any NHL player in the world. In the United States, Patrick Beverly, he's a reserve guard for the Lakers. And I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. I think that's just a plain fact that most NHLers don't have a presence in the United States. Who am I turning into tonight? Oh, yeah, Mario Lemieux. No, he hasn't played in 30 years. Oh, yeah, Pavel Burry is pretty good. No, he hasn't played in 20. Chris Pratt, no, hasn't played. 
Why isn't Trevor Zegras promoted? Rangers, I hate him. Market Panarin. Market Adam Fox. He's another American defenseman playing for the Rangers. That's number one for me. Market your talent. Promote them. Get them in ads. Do more with them. Because in Canada, I don't think we're great at it either. We promote the Canadian teams. We, we are better because we're it's the only sport that Canadians watch. It's going to sound bad, but I don't think a lot of people watch football in Canada. It's way less people. We're very focused on one sport, and that's hockey. I don't know if it's because we don't have the brain capacity to do it. That's, that sounds bad, but again, we don't. We can't focus on more than one sport, or maybe we're watching movies or we're watching season two of White Lotus, whatever it might be. You can't watch every sport. I get it. You can't all be me, but I have many people in my family who watch multiple sports, who consume all of it, but I don't think many families are like that. I blame the parents. To be fair, my parents weren't watching golf and I got into golf, so I'm going to have to love it. But anyway, I digress. We could do more in this country to promote NHL players as a whole and not just Canadian teams, not just Toronto, Montreal, really, some Vancouver, but and McDavid, obviously. But you gotta you got to want to do that. you got to get your players involved, so that's part of it. So reason number one is promoting of star players. It, it doesn't happen. Number two, season. I think the NHL season would be better off if it started in September, in December. I think the NHL should start every year in December. Why? There's this thing called the NFL, and Unless you're going to kill Godzilla, which I don't think they're going to do, you have to be aware of it. You have to be aware that there's this monster kicking around and, you know, you're hundreds of scared, you know, Asian people of Godzilla. You got you to be aware of the beast. Be aware that the NFL is lurking. You start your season the first week of October, guess what's on NFL. Guess what's on all through November? NFL. Guess what's on? Yes, December, but you got to start sometime. NFL. If you start December, if you shorten the season a bit, you play from December to June, it's better. It just is. It's better. You're going to get ratings. Because what else are you going to watch? For over half your season, there is no NFL. We've gone through half the NHL season. The NFL is still, still going, still present. Half. Half. And the ratings are down. Why? That's why. Start the season later. Start. The, the, the NBA is going to do it. The NBA is going to do it, and it's absolutely smart. It, it's, it's a no-brainer. To do it, the NBA, to start every year on Christmas Day, they should. Who cares about basketball until Christmas anyway? 
Who cares about the standings in the first two months? Nobody gives a shit about a Tuesday night LeBron James game against my Sacramento Kings. Why? Because Sacramento's going to kill them. That's one reason. But also because the NFL is present. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's like college basketball. College basketball should start in January. Play into the summer. Again, I love March Madness, but who watches college basketball until right now? Nobody. Other than Jay Billis, my guy. Seth Greenberg. I'm starting to watch college basketball too now. But was I a month ago? No. But Saturdays, Saturday afternoons, now I'm watching college basketball. Loving every second of it too. Watch out for the Boilermakers, all I'm going to say. Zach Eday, big center, Canadian. Seven foot four. He's got 39 the other day. But hey, we'll get back to Zach Eday another day. Start your season later. Market your players. More movement. More trades. More things to make it exciting. Just... Not just, bleh, just another night. You'll never get the NFL vibe because the NFL's 17 games until it's 18 games. But there's so few. Every game's important. You have it on a Sunday. You have these big events. What if the NHL had a uh, rivalry day? Rivalry week. We just had that in the NBA. I thought that was a successful campaign for the NBA, quite frankly. You had Lakers Celtics in there. You had Lakers Clippers. Uh, Philly and Brooklyn played, which was fun. Philly and Denver, which I liked. Saturday afternoon, Knicks, Nets. I thought that was a great week for the NBA. There was good games. There's rivalries. You had that controversial call in the Lakers game. I like that. Try something new. Rivalry week. You build it up. You put it on TNT. You put it on ESPN, kind of like the NHL could do. Take it from yourself. ESPN, call up the NHL, say, let's do this. How about Tuesday night we get Toronto-Boston. Thursday, Tampa plays Boston, and then we got Toronto-Tampa and uh, and Hockey Night in Canada. Out west, St. Louis plays Minnesota. Love it. Colorado plays Nashville. You know, these these, uh, Dallas plays Nashville. Those two teams don't like each other. Winnipeg plays Dallas. Winnipeg. You have the three Western Canadian teams. They blend together in the Pacific. Do something that's not just minutia, same game after game. Like last night was a Tuesday night before the All-Star break. I get it. So before the All-Star break, it's tired. You're, you're, you want to get to the All-Star break. But there's nothing appealing about it. Washington, Columbus, bleh. Ottawa, Montreal for seemingly the 18th time this year. Who cares? I watched the Carolina-LA game which is actually entertaining. But is anybody watching that game last night? You going you going out of your way to find it? I doubt it. I, I doubt you are because it's L.A. and Carolina. There's no promotion. There's no nothing. You don't know any players on either team. You don't know anybody on either team who's playing. Carolina, who jumps off the page? I don't know. Literally nobody. <laughs> They're one of the best teams in the league, and you don't know a soul on the team. You might know Brent Burns from the Kit Kat commercials, but you'd be surprised he's on the team. Isn't he on that team out west? Uh, is he? Can't even remember. No, he was traded. Oh, he's on Carolina. Oh, that's nice. 
LA, okay, you might remember Drew Doughty. Who's Adrian Kempe? Oh, yeah, one of the great young talents in the game right now. Who's Phoenix Copley? You, know, you go through this. Uh, the NHL ratings are down. That's just part of the reason why. You do nothing to, to really sell yourself. You do nothing to, to say, please put us on. Please get us on TV. We're interested in, in having, you know, in having a spotlight here. No. We'll just keep doing the same stuff and have average ratings and have these games. And There will always be the loyal hockey fan. But one thing that I, that I think hockey fails at that other sports do as well, normally hockey fans watch their team. For instance, my parents texted me last night and they were watching L.A. and Carolina, which surprised me. Because, yes, they love hockey, my mother more than my father, but I didn't think they'd be watching that game. Happily surprised. But I think most people watch their favorite team. And when their favorite team isn't playing, they tune out. It's not like I, we watch hockey every night. It's like, well, it's Tuesday, uh, the Leafs or, you know, our, our, the Canadians or the Bruins are idle. Uh, let's watch Jerry Springer or let's watch reruns of uh, CSI Miami, whatever it might be, whatever catches your fancy. But it's not, okay, well, hockey's on night. What game do we want to pick? Let's check out Carolina and L.A. or let's stroll through and let's find. No, I, I think most hockey fans watch their team. In the NFL, I don't think it's that way at all. Because if your team plays at 5.30, I don't think you're just watching the NFL at 5.30. I think you're watching it too. You're, you'll watch your team at 5.30, yes. But then you'll watch Sunday Night Football. You'll watch Monday Night. So you're a bigger fan of the sport than you are maybe even that team itself. Because you're scouring the league. You're going out of your way to find other games. Does that happen in the NHL? I don't think so. Rarely. Yeah, of course, we'll tune in for our favorite team. But after that, it's over. It's, we're throwing on something else. Your other family members might be sick of, sick of hockey, sick of you watching it. Okay, you can watch your team, but after your team's done, enough. Get it off. We're sick of this. So, I don't know. I'm not surprised to see the ratings are down. I'm not, because a league that doesn't do a lot to promote, a league that fails a lot of times at just bringing interest to it, I don't expect to succeed. In life, you don't succeed without hard work. It's, it's easy to land a TV deal for the NHL, for the NBA, for the NFL, whatever sport. It's easy to land a TV deal because there's interest from these big companies that want to bring in. I'm sure ESPN, TNT saw a possibility for another market to get more eyes on their, on their channels by adding hockey, adding a new demographic. You already had the NBA audience. Let's add the NHL. We'll have people on our stations every night of the week. Perfect. Best case scenario. But now you're left looking and saying, well, 
Nobody's watching hockey. We're not promoting our stars. Hockey players do the worst interviews of any sport, in my opinion, as well. They're so dry, so mundane, have nothing to say. And they don't do a lot of interviews either. So, yeah, I mean, that sounds so damn appealing. It sounds like ratings should just be killing, just jumping off the page. Please. I mean, NHL, you could listen to some of my advice. I'm trying to help you. I love your product for the most part. You can improve it. Could be more physicality. Could be more interesting, of course. I understand that you don't want to do it. You might not want to listen to me, but wouldn't be the worst thing you could do. Let's take heed of my advice. Well, let's move on back to the NFL, where last night the two of the four vacancies for head coaches in the NFL were filled, where it started with the Denver Broncos, who hired Sean Payton as the team's next head coach. In order to do that, they had to make some moves with the New Orleans Saints for compensation because he was technically still under contract while working with Fox. The Broncos traded a 2023 first to New Orleans and a 2024 second. And New Orleans sent a, a third round pick to Denver in the next couple of years. So New Orleans gets a 2023 first and a 2024 second. And Sean Payton wasn't even coaching there anymore. So a pretty good return for a coach they were never going to have anyway. And Denver gets Sean Payton as an ex-head coach to work with Russell Wilson. Looking at this, this is a new opportunity. And this is a very new quarterback situation for, for Sean Payton. It's not been released how much he's getting paid yet, which I do want to know. I read before it's between 20 and 25 million. That's what he was looking for, which is just absurd. But Sean Payton's used to working with small quarterbacks, and he's going to be working with a shorter quarterback in Denver. He worked for, with Drew Brees for over 15 years and had a ton of success. Before Tom Brady kept playing, Drew Brees had the records all time for passing yards, for passing touchdowns, for completions, for completion percentage. And that was with Sean Payton as his offensive coordinator. Sean, uh, Drew Brees was a stationary quarterback. He stood in the pocket. He threw the ball down the field. And Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Marquise Colston, and a very good defense won a Super Bowl in 2009 over, over uh, Peyton Manning in the Indianapolis Colts. So Sean Payton won it in 2009, then coached until the end of last season and decided to step down from coaching and wanted to get into media. For what it's worth, I think he was very good on Fox. He started to get more comfortable, was starting to be more open with his opinions and just how the league works. But the Broncos came calling. They were desperate for a, a great, a knock-out-of-the-park head coach. They interviewed Jim Harbaugh twice. They interviewed D'Amico Ryans twice, and they interviewed Sean Payton multiple times. Now, it was reported they wanted D'Amico Ryans as their next head coach, but he ultimately went to Houston, which we'll get to momentarily. So they doubled back and went back to Sean Payton and had to go get him, and they did it. For Denver, I think this is a smart hire. 
And I think they needed an offensive-minded head coach that has some credibility. Nathaniel Hackett was the last head coach, and it was a disaster. He didn't last the season. Now, I think Sean Payton is very good at calling offenses. I think Sean Payton's a very smart guy. We also got to remember, he's been to one Super Bowl, and he coached for almost 20 years. He won that Super Bowl, but it's not – he's not a complete genius where he's out of this world brilliant – and it's just a grand slam that Russell Wilson's going to turn it around for me. Now, if I'm looking at this, I want to see what they do in free agency. I see what they want to do with weapons for Russell Wilson. But Sean Payton comes into the comes into this job, and he's got a great defense. They were top, they were fourth in the NFL last year, and they finished bottom six in the league. Alex Singleton led the NFL in tackles. They got Patrick Sertan Jr. the third, who's a great cover corner. Even while trading Bradley Chubb, they got a very good pass rush. Jewel, the middle linebackers, is a game breaker. So that side of the ball should be pretty solid for Sean Payton. This offseason for him is about building rapport, building a connection with Russell Wilson. It's reported throughout the season Russell Wilson has his own office. You needed to get a hold of him. You need to go through his agent to set up a meeting to talk to him, which is completely absurd. Russell Wilson needs to be a better teammate. And I think he needs to work with Sean Payton so that they have a mutual respect between one another to really fix his mechanics and build an offense that is serviceable to him. I think Russell Wilson holds the ball a little too long. That's what leads to him getting sacked a lot. He needs to be on the move more than he has been this season. He's not going to be the mobile quarterback that he was a decade ago, but he still has legs and he used to use those to his advantage. I mean, currently they have Cortland Sutton, who missed all of last season with a torn ACL, who I like a lot. Jerry Judy, who's been really inconsistent since being drafted into the NFL with the 16th pick overall a number of years ago. They got, they traded, they, they've got Ubukum at tight end. Parkinson, who's been very good. I like their, I like their tight end group. That's strong. I think they need to look at different wide receivers to see if they can upgrade that position. Because I just think the receivers right now are really inconsistent. And that can be frustrating for Russell Wilson as well. Find some guys that you're really excited about and try to target them and go get them. And I think Sean Payton won't have a problem doing that. I think wide, wide receivers will be happy to play in his system. We'll be looking to get the football. But for Sean, he's always had he always had a great culture in New Orleans. He turned it around there. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, he was the head coach with Drew Brees. They rebuilt that city, gave them hope. Denver's won a Super Bowl lately. So the hobble Peyton Manning. But after Peyton Manning's been quarterback after quarterback, they couldn't get it done. Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, you know, uh, Drew Locke, go through the list. And Denver is between a rock and a hard place because they are stuck with Russell Wilson for the next six seasons. Whether they like it or not, he's their quarterback, and they needed to bring a coach in that they believed had the best chance at fixing him at building a system that could work 
for that particular player. This isn't about one in, one out. Sean Payton's coming to Denver to work with Russell Wilson to get this to work. Because now with Sean Payton coming, it's the only option either of them have. Sean Payton's tied to Russell. Russell is tied to Sean. The, the relationship must work. For Sean, you want to build a relationship with Russell, but if you're bringing in new wide receivers and for agency, I'm not giving Russell the option of, of hand-picking. He hasn't earned that right. It's been terrible his first year in, in Denver. He might like the guys you bring in. He might hate them. I don't care. Bring in the guys that you think have the best chance to make this team better. Javante Williams is a very good running back. He blew his knee out early in the season. you got to hope he can come back and play healthy. Sean Payton, in his latter years in New Orleans, I think it's part of the reason why he left, he never had great rosters. He never had great wide receivers. He never had an elite offensive talent. His defenses were far better with Cameron Jordan, a premier pass rusher, with Demario Davis, one of the best linebackers in football, with Marshawn Lattimore, an all-pro corner. Offensively, he had to rely on Taysom Hill, Andy Dalton, a battered Drew Brees, Marquise Colston and Jeremy Shockey and some of the, and Michael Thomas, the great players, weren't available. So you had to look at Traquan Smith. You had to look at Marquez Calloway and bank on them being productive. There isn't a whole lot of cap space in Denver. That's one part of the issue here, and you're giving up draft capital to bring Sean Payton in. So you might be stuck with some of the same guys you had last year. It's just Sean hopefully can maximize their potential. The good thing is I don't think this roster is horrible. Your offensive line needs work. Yes. And that's a hard thing to get right. It's rare to see what they do in Cincinnati and Philly where you hit on every single one of your offensive linemen and that group just works so well together. Cincinnati spent a lot of money in their offensive line this offseason. Joe Burrow still got sacked the second most in the NFL this season. So you can spend money on the offensive line. Doesn't mean it's going to be money well spent. I thought it was going to be. Didn't turn out to be. It's about finding the right guys, finding the right cohesion that can lead to your quarterback being more upright, having more time in the pocket to make good decisions. So I think Denver made the right call with this hire. But that doesn't mean it's going to be an instant success. And it's easy today to just to look at it and say, well, I know the team that's going to have the biggest jump in wins next season. It's, it has to be the Denver Broncos. But everybody saying that had the opinion that Denver was going to be an awesome team this, this season and potentially win the AFC West, which was completely absurd. I predicted before the season started that Denver would miss the playoffs, and boy howdy was I ever right. I, the smell test, to bring it back, didn't work for me with the Denver Broncos. I wasn't buying in to that Ponzi scheme. I wasn't buying into Bernie Madoff. I saw what was in front of me. All I know is the last three, four years, Russell Wilson has not played good football. 
It can be in Seattle. It can be in Denver. Now, do I think he's had great offensive lines? Do I think he's had elite talent? Better in Seattle than he has in Denver. But all I know, basically, he hasn't played great football. Has he had great off? Has he had a great offensive coaches? No, absolutely not. Nate Hackett certainly wasn't a great coach. Towards the end of his run in Seattle, I don't think he got along well with Pete Carroll. I don't think he got along well with the offensive coordinator. So part of just playing good football is harmony, being happy, being in a friendly environment. Probably hasn't been in many the last couple of years. It's been complete turmoil. He hasn't played well either. So for Sean Payton, you're taking a gamble on a Hall of Fame quarterback, finding more game, or at least finding, can he get back to that elite level? I'm not sold on it. I'm not, but I applaud them at taking a big swing because that's what the Denver Broncos do. They took a swing on Peyton Manning when he had a neck injury and there was no guarantee he was going to be ready to play. Doctor said, Peyton, you should consider retirement. He went on to win two more MVPs, two more Super Bowl appearances after heading to Denver. Russell Wilson's been to two Super Bowls. He's won one, lost one. Hasn't been to one in a very long time. He's on the downturn. But maybe Sean Payton can be the Gary Kubiak for for Peyton Manning, rejuvenate that career, and they can have a whole lot of success together. We shall see. But I applaud the Broncos for taking this swing. You had to get Harbaugh. You had to get Peyton. I I think Harbaugh would have been a better hire. But clearly he was not going to leave Michigan. He viewed his position at Michigan as a better opportunity to win a championship, and I can't blame him. His Michigan Wolverines have been in the Final Four the last two years. He's beaten Ohio State the last two years. He's won the Big Ten the last two seasons. He gives himself an opportunity every year with his recruiting, with J.J. McCarthy coming back, with Blake Corum coming back, to be in the national championship conversation once again. So you have a much closer path to competing for a championship. In Denver, you have Patrick Mahomes staring at you. You have Justin Herbert, the Chargers, staring at you. And then you have the uncertain Raiders staring at you. I wouldn't want to go up against Patrick Mahomes twice a season if I was a head coach coming into the league. You might like the challenge. You might want that opportunity. I'd go somewhere else. I think there's a reason Tom Brady doesn't go to the Raiders. Why he didn't pick teams in that division. He doesn't want that smoke at this part of his career. Oh, yeah, he's retired. I forgot. Shortly after Sean Payton was hired by the Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans hired D'Amico Ryans, the former defensive coordinator as the San Francisco 49ers, as their team's next head coach. The interesting uh, little wrinkle here is that D'Amico Ryans got a six-year contract from the Houston Texans. And this is a a very new development because the last two years, Houston hired David Culley, one and done, and they hired Lovey Smith, one and done, to be their team's head coach. And those were weird hires because they were both minorities. They were both given one season and both really weren't given a fair shake. 
and they knew they were basically coaching a season and then were going to be fired. But D'Amico Ryans gets a six-year deal, and this reminds me, I thought of this right away, as Dan Campbell in Detroit. Dan Campbell was given a five-year deal from the Lions, and the Lions were notorious for firing head coaches very quickly. Jim Schwartz, Jim Caldwell, they bounced around between head coaches, and I think they wanted some stability, and they wanted to give Dan Campbell a shot. I think the Houston Texans are looking at it the same way here. D'Amico Ryans has the opinion of many people around the NFL that he's a great guy, a really smart head coach, as a really smart defensive coordinator. He's built some of the best defenses in the world in San Francisco. It's been paired with Kyle Shanahan. And it hasn't been because of his defenses that San Francisco has not gotten to the Super Bowl. So he comes to Houston. And he's going to be co- he's a defensive-minded head coach. So naturally you think, well, he's got to bring a good offensive coordinator with him. He's got to find somebody that works. And I, what I will say is I think he's been around some good head coach. He's been around some good coaches in San Francisco. It would not surprise me if his offensive coordinator comes from the San Francisco staff right now, whether it's a quarterback's coach or somebody like that. Maybe Clint Kubiak, Gary Kubiak's son, come to Houston, be the offensive coordinator. And with D'Amico Ryans, he steps in and there's no certainty at quarterback. There's no certainty at the roster. The best player currently on the Houston Texans is Derek Stingley Jr. He's going into his second season at corner. They don't have a quarterback. Davis Mills is there. They have the number two and number 12 pick in this year's draft. So you look at it, Bryce Young could be a potential quarterback for Houston. Could be the Ohio State quarterback, C.J. Stroud. Could be Anthony Richardson from Florida. Could be Will Levis from Kentucky. They have options. Houston could trade number two and number 12 to get the number one overall pick from the Chicago Bears, if they if they look at that as a potential option. Houston Texans over the next three months just have to evaluate young quarterbacks and decide, D'Amico Ryans has to decide who his next franchise quarterback is going to be, who's going to be the man to turn around this franchise from obscurity to relevancy and competing in the now competitive AFC South. In a perfect world, you like C.J. Stroud. He's not going number one. You take him at number two, you keep that number 12 pick in the draft, and you have two top 15 picks in a very deep draft. You also got multiple picks in the second, multiple picks in the third round. So this is just about drafting to improve your team. I don't expect the Houston Texans to be a playoff team next year. Dan Campbell has not made the playoffs yet in Detroit, but he got his team to over 500 this season, so he's on the right track. And that's why you give D'Amico Ryans a six-year contract. Patience. Patience to find and build a roster that can play the style of football that you want to play. Patience to get great players on your roster so it's not just a bunch of has-beens. You need to get rid of Brandon Cooks. You need to get rid of Davis Mills. You have a great piece in Damian Pierce, the running back. 
But this Houston roster was filled with veteran players, filled with guys you signed on one-year contracts, so that is a positive thing. You're not stuck with a whole lot of bad. Other than Brandon Cooks, you can get rid of every player on this roster. They can come and go as you please. If you hate them all, get rid of them all. If you want to keep some, keep them. You don't have any big financial ties. So that's a positive for D'Amico Ryans. But for him, he needs to build his defensive philosophy, make this team tough to play against like he did in San Francisco. Now, it's tough to say you're going to get another Fred Warner or you're going to get a Nick Bosa, but that's why you draft. That's why you draft, and that's why you find key players that can help you win. The NFL is evolving where most great head coaches are defensive-minded. Absolutely. But that does not mean that I don't that I think D'Amico Ryan is going to be a failure. No, because not every offensive coach that's hired is going to be good. Dan Campbell was an offensive lineman slash a tight end. Offensive, you could say, but he's not traditionally a quarterback. Nathaniel Hackett was head coach. He's fired in 14 games. Offensive-minded offensive coordinator. Why doesn't Kellen Moore get head coaching jobs? Well, maybe because he is not a head coach. He might just be a coordinator. I think the Jets are starting to turn it around. I think Robert Sala is a good coach. He'll be on the hot seat going into next season as a former San Francisco defensive coordinator, but I like his vibe. I think he's a good head coach, and he's defensive-minded. So I don't think you just got to hire offensive-minded head coaches. I think you need to hire competent, smart people for the job. And I think Houston did that today. I think they're going to take CJ Stroud with that number two overall pick. Cause I think Bryce Young is going to go number one, not to the Chicago bears, but to the team that trades with them. But Houston needs to make that decision. Who do you like the best? And this is the biggest mistake teams make in the draft is you draft a quarterback or you draft a player because you need that talent or you need that position. No, don't just take a quarterback because you need one. Take the right one. Take the quarterback that you've evaluated and you say, this guy can't miss. This guy's going to be a superstar. He's a game breaker. That's who you take. Not because we need one. Lose for another year. And that's the security. Six years. They're going to take a quarterback. There. But if you look at these guys and you say, eh, I don't know how good they're going to be. Wait. Wait if you're D'Amico Ryans. Because you might like Caleb Williams a little more in next year's draft. You might like Drake May, Lady May, out of North Carolina a little more in next year's draft. You need to have that security. You need to be on board with your management about where you're going. You want to be competitive at some point. But they got loads of draft capital. He's got security. And I think they really like him because clear they he said no to Denver. D'Amico Rhines. He wanted to come to Houston. He looked at this opportunity as a better one. You're in the AFC South. The Jags have the, the Prince, Trevor Lawrence, with that great flowing hair, and Doug Peterson and what they're doing down there. Looks good. The Colts are completely in shambles. Who the hell knows what the Colts are going to do? 
they're still without a head coach. If Je- is Jeff Saturday going to get the job at Indy? Is Jim Irsay really going to bring back Jeff Saturday as the team's head coach? I mean, Jim Irsay's looked dumb enough. You know, he's looked really dumb over the last number of months, but wouldn't that be something if Jeff Saturday's back as a head coach? I'm banking on that at this point, but again, they still haven't hired one. Two openings available in Indy and in Arizona. So Indy's got the fourth pick. They don't have a quarterback either. Sam Ellinger, not the quarterback of the future. Nick Foles, not the quarterback of the future. They're going to cut Matt Ryan, not the quarterback of the future. Skill position players, Michael Pittman is better than any receiver Houston has, but I don't think anybody else is a game breaker. I like Jonathan Taylor, but he's been in the league a long time. He's starting to get injured. Happens to every great running back. The Colts are going through a state of transition. They're they're getting beat up. They they need to they need to reverse course. They've had so many veteran quarterbacks. They'll be taking somebody too. I think the Colts will be calling Chicago and looking for that number one overall pick. So we could see a bidding war between Houston and Indy. If both teams in that division like a similar quarterback, could get interesting. But could Houston be a better team before Indy? Absolutely. In particular, if Jeff Saturday is the coach and you don't know where you're going, your skill position players suck, which it is. I think the Colts are an aging roster, and I think they have to get worse before they get better. Also in the division, you have the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee, similar to these two teams, they need to have a complete rebuild. Their skill position players stink. They have a head coach that refuses for them to be a bad team. But they don't have any skill position players. Their defense is adequate. Ryan Tannehill is coming off a major injury. You could save money by cutting him. He'll have interest around the league now with Tom Brady retiring, if he does. But you got nothing, nothing special on this roster. You just fired your GM. You went to an AFC championship game. You lost to the Chiefs. You were an inferior team. Nothing wrong with that. But the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans are all very similar. All teams that need a new sense of direction, a new purpose, and a new foundation on how they want to move forward. So for Houston, for D'Amico Ryans, you're in a division that has one team that has some stability at this point, and that would be the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is a crazy sentence that the Jacksonville Jaguars have more stability than any other team in the AFC South. But to me, it's the absolute truth. But Houston might be number two. You got the draft capital. You got a good head coach. Let's see what you do with it. Let's see what you do with it. But two head coaching vacancies are now off the board. Two remain. One in Indianapolis, one in Arizona. I still think in Indianapolis, Jeff Saturday is going to be the head coach. We just need to see that announced. I think we'll know both before the weekend. In Arizona, I don't have a clue who the head coach is going to be. I think they're having a hard time finding people to take the job, quite frankly, because it's so unappealing. Because of the ownership, because of the fact that Kyler Murray's there and he could be injured to start the year and 
you need to trade DeAndre Hopkins and you have old wide receivers. JJ Watt is gone. No skill. It's just, it's not good. Not to mention that Sean McVay's back in Los Angeles. Expect them to be competitive. San Francisco, still a very good team, no matter who's playing quarterback, doesn't matter. Seattle made the playoffs with Geno Smith at quarterback. So it's not it's not easy to compete in that division. Just isn't. With or without Kyler Murray. Who's gonna, is Lou Anarumo, the Cincinnati Bengals defense score? Is he gonna get that job? Interviewed on Monday, apparently. Interviewed lots of candidates, but still no, you don't hear any reports on the Arizona job. What will be funny in Arizona is if they give it to Vance Joseph, who's the current defensive coordinator. He won't last a year and a half in Arizona. He'll be a guy that gets the job and then you fire him because the team sucks. And if he gets the jobs because they didn't find somebody that was completely just opening up their eyes that, that they felt was going to be their their coach of the future and probably because they think Kyler Murray's not going to be in Arizona that much longer. But Cliffy Kingsbury's in Thailand. He's getting paid from the Arizona Cardinals not to work. What a life that must be. But two more vacancies. We've got the Super Bowl in a week and a half. In Arizona, oddly enough. Next week, you got the Waste Management in Arizona. You got the Super Bowl. My God, good weather. Wouldn't that be something? Get the Weather Network this morning. Minus 30 this weekend. Minus 30. My God, people like living in New Brunswick. I mean, I love it. I do. But they also hate it at the same time because the weather sucks 80% of the time. People clamor to come here in the wintertime. Swap with anybody if they live in good weather, I tell you. Take my spot. I'm taking my dog. We can everything else. Nevertheless, waste management, you got AT&T Pebble Beach starting tomorrow on the PGA Tour. And then you got the waste management where the, the tournament is boosted now. It's It's not a major, but it's the closest thing to it, the biggest names in golf will be there. Not a very good field at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week. There are good players like Victor Hovland, Jordan Spieth is present. You got Harry Higgs, one of my favorites, is there playing with celebrities. But this tournament has taken a real kick in the shins in the last couple of years because you got Torrey Pines, you got Riviera, you got the Waste Management people, just the great players skip this one. They are again this year. I looked at the field this morning, but hey, it's golf, and I'm going to be watching it because I don't care what it is. On the PGA Tour, I'm watching the event. It's a great golf. It's one of the nicest golf courses in the world, Pebble Beach. And it's not – there's no live this weekend. I wasn't going to watch that anyway. I'm watching zero seconds of the All-Star game. I'll rely on the All-Star game update. When Sheamus joins us next week, he won't be on this week just because of work and different things. But he'll be back on next week. Tuesday, I'll get the All-Star Game update from him because if you – I'll say this now. If you're looking for the All-Star Game prep work on this show, it's not happening. Not watching the all – no, not even a second of the All-Star Game will be talked about on this show. 
Why? Because I don't give a fuck. Just to be clear. Now, I teased this yesterday. We're an hour and into the program, and it's a perfect time to bring this up. I have a list of the top five players that I would be targeting at the trade deadline. This is not the five best players that you could acquire. I think they're better players. But this is just for me. If you want to win the top five players that teams should be looking to acquire, that can help you win a title, that can help you win a championship, that these teams should be looking at these players. Now, I'm going to name, I'm going to go through the five, and I'm going to link a team to every one of these players, I think is the perfect fit. So top five, the top five trade list for Noah Warren at the trade deadline. This is my show, so why not? Let's start off with number five. Number five, I have Carl Vomalka. Vomalka is the starting goaltender for the Arizona Coyotes. You might not know about the Arizona Coyotes. I don't blame you, but Carl Vomalka has been quietly one of the best goaltenders in the world over the last couple of years. He is incredibly confident. He moves well in the net. And they win more games than they should. The Arizona Coyotes win more games because Vilmelka is a number one goaltender. I think he's a franchise goaltender, quite frankly. And I, I just really like him. To me, if you're going to be looking at a guy that you could get at the trade deadline, Vilmelka is one of those guys. Every other good team, their goaltender staying put. You're not going to trade Ilya Sorokin if you miss of the Islanders. You're not trade if in, in Detroit. You're not trading your goaltending tandem. You like that there. You feel secure in it. St. Louis, I don't believe he's going to trade Jordan Bennington. I think Vilmelka is a better option than getting a Jordan Bennington. So if you're a team that feels that you're close to winning a title, but you feel you're a goaltender away or your goaltender's injured, you feel a little insecure about the position, Carl Vomelka is a player that you could go out and acquire. I think everybody's on the table for the for the Arizona Coyotes. I think they'll trade just about anybody because they want to get worse before they get better. They're aware of that, and they're not afraid to be bad because they've been bad for a very long time. And Carl Vomelka could help a team a lot, quite frankly. And... Looking, you know, he's got an over 900 save percentage. He stays in games. He plays a lot of hockey too. Like he's not afraid to have starts. He's in, like I said, he's a number one. This isn't a tandem situation. This isn't where you have to worry about who's going to play the other games. He can play all seven games for you in a series. He's unknown. Yes, he's in Arizona. I get it. Arizona doesn't get a whole lot of play. They play in a university barn. Doesn't mean that this guy's not a good player. Vilmelka is as good as anybody in the Arizona roster. He's better than Clayton Keller. He's better. Yeah. No, he's their best player. He's their best player. Clayton Keller gets more of a boost. He's going to the all-star game, but shouldn't be there. My ideal fit for Carl Vilmelka at the trade deadline is the Los Angeles Kings. I watched the Los Angeles Kings play the Carolina Hurricanes last night. They had a 4-1 lead going into the third period. And I think the Los Angeles Kings can make a few moves if they want to make the playoffs and if they want to have a chance at winning a Stanley Cup. But you have a 4-1 lead going into the third period, your last game before the All-Star break. You're playing the Carolina Hurricanes. 
wrap up a win. But Carolina being Carolina fights back. They get back into the game, goal after goal, turnover, horrible playing in their own zone by the Los Angeles Kings. And oh yeah, by the way, Phoenix Copley can't make a fucking save. So it goes from a 4-1 lead to you actually lose the game 5-4 in overtime and you give up a valuable point when you are in a dogfight for the lead in the Pacific Division. Oy vey. So you look around for the Los Angeles Kings. You have Jonathan Quick, who's got an 874 save percentage this season. I have an 874 save percentage. That's how good he's playing. You have Calvin Peterson, who's making $5 million. He's playing for the Ontario Reign in the American Hockey League. Woof. And you have Phoenix Copley, who since being called up has been great record-wise, 16-3-1, but his save percentage is, is under 900. So what that tells you is that the Los Angeles Kings are outscoring their problems. While Carl Vilmelka plays on a shit team in Arizona, yes, he's 13, 17, and 4, he's got a 907 save percentage. He's going to have bad stats. He's got bad players in front of him. The D is not good in Los Angeles. It's young. They make a lot of mistakes. It'll be better than it is in Arizona. Vilmelka is a number one goaltender. Jonathan Quick's an unrestricted free agent after this season. I think Arizona would take him in the trade because it's an expiring contract. You'd have to add some more to the deal. But you're Los Angeles. You're looking at the situation. What are you doing if you're not trying to compete? Your young core isn't that young anymore. I love Adrian Kempe. Adrian Kempe to me is a fantastic player. Kevin Fiala, I love him as well. Kopitar still got game, but look at it. You're tied with Seattle in points. Guess what? You played the most games in the NHL. LA's played 53 games. They have 29 games left. You're tied in with the standings with Seattle. Seattle's got four games in hand. Vegas is a point back. They got two games in hand. Edmonton is three points back. They got three games in hand. Calgary, I could keep going. You need every point that you can possibly get in playing an AHL goaltender Every night down the stretch hoping to get them is a bad thing. It's a recipe for disaster. Carl Vomelka is one of, if not the only, starting goaltender that I believe you can get at this trade deadline. If you're the Los Angeles Kings, go out and get them. You still have some good prospects. You can still make this trade happen. Because if I'm in that Pacific Division, I'm looking around saying, I, we can beat Seattle. We can beat Vegas. We can beat Edmonton. Why not? Every team in that division should have the mindset of we can get to the conference final. I don't care. Even Calgary, who I hate watching and I don't have any confidence in. They should. Why? Jacob Markstrom. It's the best goaltender in the division. By a country mile when his, when his head is right. Logan Thompson. Martin Jones. Jack Campbell. Phoenix Copley, Jacob Mar- who's he's better than all of them. So everybody should have the mindset, we can get to a conference final. We get through the Pacific, okay, we might get dummy by Colorado. Let's give ourselves a chance. Let's give ourselves a one-in-four shot at getting to the Stanley Cup final. How's that sound? Sounds appealing to me. L.A. needs to do more. Vladislav Gavrikov did not make my list. He should also be added to this team. So there's going to be a lot of teams that want Vladislav Gavrikov. 
he should be an LA Kings trade target because they need a, another physical defenseman that can just move the puck. Enough of these fancy offensive guys like Sean Dursey, Sean Walker. Oh, God. I like them, but they make poor decisions in their own zone. I like Mikey Anderson. Add some Gavrikov to this lineup. The LA Kings are so skilled up front. So skilled. Kopitar is playing incredible hockey for the stage he's in in his career. He's played over 1,200 games already, Kopitar, and he's playing unbelievable. Drew Doughty's playing pretty well. Fiala. Anderson Dolan's starting to find his game a little bit. Kempe. Byfield has, he's playing well with Kopitar. This team has legs, but defending is their weakness. They need to address it. Number four on the, t- on the players I want to add at the trade deadline. Number four is Ivan Abarbashev. Ivan Barbashev is a Swiss army knife of epic proportions. Ivan Barbashev can score you a key goal in a third period. Ivan Barbashev can block a shot on the power play, uh, on the penalty kill. He can play second power play minutes. Or, if you really need him to, he will go and hit every defenseman on the opposing team. And the best thing about it, you don't have to ask him to do it. You don't need to try to draw it out of him. You don't need to try to pry it, to pry it out. Ivan Barbashev is an NHL player personified because when he was in junior, he didn't throw a check. He wasn't built like a tough guy. He was the superstar Moncton Wildcat. I saw it firsthand. And he had to morph his game so that he could play pro, so that he could be an NHLer. So he morphed his game into being a penalty killer, into being a pain in the ass to play against. And he was in the top three of the most important players for St. Louis winning the Stanley Cup in 2019. Ivan Barbashev is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year, and I would love to have him on my team. Regular season, postseason, I don't give give a shit what season it is. I want him. He's a winner. He's a gamer, and he will make your life hell. This isn't about stats. This is about winning. This is about getting a person that changes your look of your team. It is so hard to find players that are willing to do what Barbashev does now. You have to pry it. You need to hope, you need to pray that they will do this. He doesn't need the prod. He doesn't need the shot caller. He goes and does it every night. So, who's the team that I link him to? Very simple. The Toronto Maple Leafs should be looking to acquire Ivan Bar- And quite frankly, if they don't acquire him, it's organizational malpractice. All I hear about different Leafs podcasts, Leaf fans, oh, we're not hard enough to play against. True. Nobody goes and th- finishes a check. True. We're built for the regular season. True. Our bottom six isn't strong enough. Agreed. Pierre Engvall is a decent player, but he'll never throw a check. He can be 6'4", 220 every day of the week, but he won't go in a corner. He doesn't have that. He's not built like that. So why not say, let's put a slow-ass Kyle Clifford, a slow-ass Wayne Simmons. Go out and trade for Ivan Abarbashev, as, as the Moncton Wildcats announcer used to say. 
Go get them. You want a player that gives it gives it his all every shift, that's going to finish his check on the top team's defenseman? You think Victor Hedman's going to like playing against Barbashev for seven games? No. He's going to wear these defensemen down. Sergachev will take a stupid penalty because Barbashev hit him. Maybe a little late, maybe a little high. Who cares? He'll take the slashing penalty. You get a power play, you get a goal. He will wear you down. He's a pain in the ass. He's a physical presence. He does it so well. All I hear about is the type of player that Toronto needs. This is it. This is it. It's right in front of you. Go get him. I don't give a shit if Matthew Nyes is the price. I'd rather have Barbashev than Matthew Nyes. You know why? Because Barbashev can play right now. Oh, Matthew Nyes can play when he gets out. Okay, can he? Can he play when he gets out of college? We don't know that. I know Barbashev's an NHL player, period. And if you're Kyle Dubas, this is about 2023. Fuck 2024. Screw the future. It's about winning. And quite frankly, I don't think the least fans are going to give a shit about you trading away a prospect. Why? Because they want to win. They've been waiting to win since 67. They've been waiting to win something since 04. Least went around. Barbashev will help you do that. How do I know? Barbashev won a Stanley Cup in St. Louis. When they were on a last place team, part of that was his metamorphosis into the player he's become. He's better offensively than he was the start of his career, but he's still got that bite. He's still that, they got that physical presence that makes you want to quit. Number three on Noah's top five uh, trade bait list. Number three is Jacob Chikrin of the Arizona Coyotes. Jacob Chikrin, we've been hearing about this guy for a long time. Arizona wants to move him. He's a young defenseman. He's got all the tools. Arizona wants a massive haul. Well, two things can be true. I think the Arizona Coyotes like to blow smoke up people's ass, but I also think they'll want to trade him. Another thing can be true. I think Jacob Chicken gets overhyped. That doesn't mean he's not a good player. Jacob Chicken's a 24-year-old defenseman that has number one D-man upside. He'll be 25 March 31st. You can get a 25-year-old defenseman. I'll take that. He's got 25 points in 34 games. And for the old people out there, he's a plus six. He was a minus 20 last year. You have a plus. You have a good plus minus on a shitty team. You'll take that every day of the week. If you are looking around and you can get a number one defenseman to add to your roster, do it. Do it. If you think you can win. By the way, he's under contract for two years. That's appealing. It's appealing. He's got a big shot. I think he's a smart. He moves the puck extremely well. The biggest thing is he's got some injury problems. Absolutely. He, he missed time to start this year. He's had some injury issues. But you'll take a chance on a player, I think, because you see the upside. You see what, what he has done at the NHL level, quite frankly. He's likely going to hit a career high in points this year. He's got 25 points and 35. His career high in points is 41. I think he'll surpass that this year for a defenseman. Now, there's a whole lot of teams that we're looking at Jacob Chikrin. You think of Toronto with the Jake Muzzin contract, they could be looking at Chikrin. 
The LA Kings, as I mentioned, maybe they'd be interested in Jacob Chikrin. Potentially the New York Rangers. But to me, the team that should be looking at Jacob Chikrin come trade deadline time is the Ottawa Senators. And this might sound surprising to all of you, but just because you're going to make the playoffs doesn't mean you can't be active at the trade deadline. And I've mentioned this before. Pierre Dorian, his feet are, are to the fire right now. Because there's going to be a new ownership group by the start of the new league year in all likelihood. I think they'll want to introduce the new ownership group during the playoffs or certainly before the start of next year. So that means the new ownership group will be evaluating their people. They'll be evaluating DJ Smith. They'll be evaluating Pierre Dorian. And if they can look, they can look up Hockey DB, look up those reference pages and see that the Ottawa Senators have made the playoffs in a very long time, 2018 to be exact. They can look at that and say, well, ooh, this is this is rough. Pardon me, 2017. They lost to Pittsburgh, game seven, conference final. We haven't made the playoffs since 2017. And we've had the same GM throughout the entire time. We've had the same head coach for most majority of that time. Why are these guys still employed? Well, Pierre Dorian can pull off a Jacob Chikrin trade. So you can go into 2023, go into 2024 and say, guess what? We got Artem Zub locked up, who we like a lot. We got Thomas Shabbat locked up, who we love, and we got Jacob Chikrin to pair with him. We got two guys that could potentially be number one defensemen. I still think you need another D. Maybe get Gavrikov in free agency after he goes win a cup somewhere. But you add to your defense core. You add another elite talent. Chikrin's a Canadian. Like he'd welcome playing a Canadian market, being on a team that has a chance to win. Doesn't have a no trade, so it doesn't really matter what he wants. But add to your team. This is about salvation. What did Lou Lamorello do yesterday, do on Monday? He traded for Bo Horvat. Why? His job's on the line, primarily, in my opinion. Yes, you want to try to improve your team, of course. That's That goes hand in hand. But also, he he, re, he sees the newspaper clippings. He sees what's happening. He, he, he notices, if we don't make the playoffs this year, if this doesn't go well, I might be unemployed. I might be done in the NHL forever. I might be having my career funeral as a general manager. So I need to do something here to keep it going. Pierre Dorian, I met him, saw him at the last couple of World Juniors. Nice guy. You know, shook my hand, all that. I, I like him. But, you know, I like my mother. I wouldn't hire her as a GM. You can like lots of people. Doesn't mean they're qualified for the job. The team doesn't get any better. You're in the same position. You're you're waddling in the midst of mediocrity. You're a fringe lottery team every year. Why are you still hanging around here? And likely the pairing goes together. If I'm Pierre Dorian, I'm putting a package together and I'm getting Jacob Chikrin to the Ottawa Senators. The trade deadline doesn't have to just be about the teams going forward acquiring players. This is an, I think this is a new phenomenon for, for general managers is acquiring players at this time of year. It doesn't have to be in the summer. Do it now. You have all this time to make a move. Arizona can look at the prospects in Ottawa, pick out the ones they want. You want Lassie Thompson? Okay, you can have him. If you have to give up Ridley Gregg, okay. And quite frankly, if you're Arizona, first-round pick in the deal from the Ottawa Senators is a better first-round pick than, say, the Rangers and say the Flames 
So Ottawa's not going to make the playoffs. So, you know, if they're not going to make the playoffs, that means your first-round pick's better you have your first-round pick. So that means that means uh, you have your first-round pick, which will be high. It could be Connor Bedard. You get Ottawa's first-round pick that will be, say, middle of the teens. So you have two first-round there. Maybe make another trade. You can get another. So before you know it, you're stockpiling first-round picks. And the worse Ottawa is, the, the higher it gets. But just a thought. But Jacob Chikrin, anytime you can get a number one defenseman, Gavrikov's a great ad. I mentioned him with the LA Kings. But Chikrin's got the higher upside. He's got another two years on his deal. He's a better player. Just a thought. Number two, Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane's in the middle of an injury-plagued season and in the middle of a season that has been really weird for the Chicago Blackhawks and for Patrick Kane, Patrick Kane, quite frankly. He's been injured at times. The Chicago Blackhawks have been embarrassed during parts of the season. A really, really awful team with goaltending that is beyond horrific with Peter Mrazek, who can't make a save, and Alex Stalock. They're just they're doing nothing to try to even remotely attempt to win. And when you're on a losing team for so long with Patrick Kane has been, since getting swept in 2016, the Blackhawks have made the playoffs once, but I was in the bubble year, which I don't know if you can really count. They've been an irrelevant franchise ever since. They just had Patrick Kane and they've had Jonathan Taves, two of the great players in league history. Patrick Kane this year has played 45 games. He's got 34 points. Not exactly horrible, but he's... He's struggling defensively. He's on a team that he doesn't have to brink at anymore to play with. He's only got nine goals, which obviously isn't great. But to me, Patrick Kane is still one of the best passers, one of the most creative forwards in league history. And I would take him on my team any day of the week. And I've been pontificating about this for some time. I've been trying to make this happen. I've, I've predicted this trade. It's almost a year now. And I'm not just saying this because I want to be right. I truly feel this is the right team to acquire Patrick Kane. It is the New York Rangers. It's the New York Rangers. In my opinion, the Rangers need another great player up front. And Patrick Kane will do this. Chicago will need to retain half of his $10.5 million contract so that they can come in. Obviously need to move some money out. But the Rangers are in a position where they need to be looking at winning a Stanley Cup this year. You got Shesterkin, relatively cheap. You have Zabinijad in your team. You have Panarin, unfortunately. You got Keandre Miller, who's blossoming. You have Adam Fox, who nobody in the U.S. knows, as I mentioned lately, but he's still on your team, and he's I know he's pretty good. So why not add him to the mix? He played well with Panarin in Chicago, so maybe he can help Panarin's work ethic at all. Just even attempting at effort would be nice. So Patrick Kane in New York. I mean, you go from Chicago to New York. And to me, what if I'm Patrick Kane, I'll accept a trade to New York because I have a chance at winning a cup. And here's the thing. You'll know before free agency, before free agent frenzy in July, if the, if the Chicago Blackhawks have won the draft lottery. If the Chicago Blackhawks win the draft lottery, it would not shock me to see Patrick Kane go back to Chicago on a deal 
to play with Connor Bedard. To mentor him, to have those two elite players together, that wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world to me. I think it fits. Like he's a perfect mentor for Connor Bedard, and you could tutor him so that Connor Bedard could be great. And maybe at the tail end of Kane's career, he's only 34, so maybe he's when he's 37. Not the same player, but he might be still be a half decent guy. You can compete again. You have one last run, one last kick at the can at winning a championship. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Patrick Kane to go to New York. To go to New York to play with Panarin, his old teammate, with Zabinijad, with Chris Kreider, with Miller, Adam Adam Fox, Igor Shesterkin. In the Metro, you can win that division. With the with just the, the weaknesses on Washington, on Pittsburgh, even the teams up top in that division. I don't love the cut of their jib. I don't trust these teams in that division to to go on a deep run. I like New Jersey a lot. I think they're a playoff team. Carolina's great. I think they need to make a move. So if you're in New York, you should feel good about your situation being able, being able to compete for a Stanley Cup, quite frankly. Number one. Number one for years truly, and this is a pretty easy one. Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer of the San Jose Sharks is a game changer. The only reason Timo Meyer may not be a game changer to some teams or some people looking at my list right now is because he is a $10 million qualifying offer for next season. Meaning that if a team picks up the qualifying offer, he's making $10 million next year, but that's not necessarily the case. Because if a team signs him to a long-term deal and you don't want to pay him $10 million, then you don't got to pay him $10 million. You could re-sign him for nine, nine and a half. It just depends on what he wants, what the deal might be. But you also sometimes got to throw caution to the wind and say, I want to try to win here. Timo Meyer scores 30 goals every year. He's a good skater. I think he's a good competitor. No, he's not a center iceman. I get that. Bo Horvat was traded. He plays center, so he plays a more valuable position. Then Timo Meyer. But Timo Meyer has been an extremely, extremely valuable and extremely productive player on a bad team for a very long time. He averages over 30 goals a year. He quietly came from the Halifax Mooseheads and had a great NHL career. Multiple four goal games in his career. And I think he can play on a line with just about anybody. He can fit in, he can find a groove, find a situation that works for him. Again, Timo Meyer. there's a lot of teams that work. I think a team that will be outside chance, but I think a team that will take a run at this player, Pittsburgh Penguins are on that list for me. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs will kick tires on Timo Meyer. They won't be able to re-sign him, but again, it's about winning. I think you at least make the call. You have to. If the Rangers wouldn't be able to acquire Patrick Kane, I think they certainly give – Give them a call, Mike Greer, a call in San Jose and say, what do you want for him? But the team for me that makes the most sense is the Carolina Hurricanes. And as I watched the Hurricanes come back from a 4-1 deficit last night, it even made more sense to me. Carolina's been close for a very long time. Close to winning. They got a great coach in Rob Brendamore, one of the best in the league. 
Jacob Slavin is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Brent Burns has been a solid ad. I didn't think it would be. I've been wrong so far. Brett Pesci, solid defenseman that rarely makes a mistake. Sebastian Ajo, very great, really good player. Martin Neckash, another very good player. Shvechnikov, Jordan Stahl still got juice at this part of his career. They're just a well-oiled machine in Carolina. And they seemingly win every single night. What they've lacked over the last number of years, whether it's edging Boston but losing to New York or losing losing to Boston one of those years in a conference final, they're always in the mix, but they can't get over the hump. They can't get to the Stanley Cup final. They can't get to the championship. You have good players. You don't have another good to great player. I like Ajo a lot. I like Sechikov a lot, but they haven't jumped out of, off the off the page in big moments. You need guys that are just a game breaker. And I think Timo Meyer is that player. I think his work ethic fits in with Rob Brendamore. He will come in and be rejuvenated because he's playing on a team that has a chance to win. And Carolina in previous years have been a team that trades for a Max Domi. Or they trade for a bit piece. Enough of this picking at the outside. Go for the big fish. Go for the shark. Don't go for the minnow. Timo Meyer is a, a difference maker. Carolina might be afraid of, of the asking price. I get that. But he's 26. You don't have to re-sign him. You don't. In this, this season, he got 48 points in 51 games. He's about a point-per-game player over his career. He's, he's got 28 goals in 51 games. He's a goal scorer. He's a very good player. He had 35 goals last year. He's going to shatter that this year. He had 35 and 77. He'll have 40-plus this year. He might get to 45. Multiple teams are going to want this player. Sometimes it's about bettering your team, and sometimes it's about not allowing your opponents to get him. Because I think Pittsburgh's going to kick tires on Timo Meyer. That's it's a move they make. Somehow they pull it off. I think the Rangers will kick tires on Timo Meyer. Like the Maple Leafs are going to kick tires on Timo Meyer. Somebody's going to get him. And if I'm Carolina, I'm not allowing anybody else to. You need a replacement for Max Pacioretty, and quite frankly, Timo Meyer is better than Max Pacioretty. He just is. He's younger. He's faster. He plays with more of an edge, and you're in a position to win a cup. I think the Flames should kick tires on him. Every team that's in a position to win should look at Timo Meyer in San Jose and say, we can go get him. He can help us win. If you truly, if as an organization, you need to have you need to have everything straight and say, do we have a chance to win? And if you come to the conclusion that you do, you don't stop. You try to win. There's only one winner every year. You've made moves to get to this point, do it. Be aggressive. Make that decision. So to recap, my top five. My top five players that teams should be looking to acquire at the trade deadline. Number five, Carol Velmelka, goaltender currently in Arizona. I think the best fit is the Los Angeles Kings. Number four, Ivan Barbashev, currently with St. Louis. Best fit, Toronto Maple Leafs. Number three, Jacob Chikrin, currently Arizona. Ottawa Senators, best fit. 
Patrick Kane, best fit in the New York Rangers, and I have Timo Meyer, best fit with the Carolina Hurricanes. Those are just some guys. There's a lot of other players that will be dealt at the at the deadline, I believe. The Bull Horvat trade started this. I don't know what team will move next. But if you can make a move, do it now. If I'm the loss if of the these players I just named, if I'm Los Angeles, I'm the most aggressive. They don't play until a week from Friday because they have their bye week. You only have 29 games left. I don't want to play that many more with Phoenix Copley and Jonathan Quick, who can't make a save, as my goaltending tandem. Because you're not going to win. Their first game backs against Pittsburgh. Big game for both teams. But you need to be ready for those games. An HL goaltender, a wounded guy, and then Calvin Peterson is in the minors? Give me Velmelka. I think Carolina should also look at Velmelka. It's Freddie Anderson. I don't trust him at all. He'll come up with some fake illness that he's got that he misses the first three rounds of the playoffs because he does it every year. And Auntie Ranta? I think Carolina I think Carolina's starting goaltender come to the playoffs is going to be their kid that's playing in the minors right now. I texted that to my mother last night. Pjorchkov, I think he's starting game one for Carolina. There's a wait to see. An hour and 33 minutes. Blown by. Fun show today. Lots of passion, lots of emotion, a lot of takes. Tomorrow on the program, on this fine program, I'm going to have my surprisingly good and surprisingly bad NHL teams at the All-Star break. Also got my MVP frontrunners in the NHL at this point. That's, that's a fun list. Put that together last night. I'm going to save that for the show tomorrow as we get through the week. We also got Lease Bruins tonight, Canes Sabres, only the two games in the National Hockey League. Also, you got uh, Connor Bedard's playing on TSN tonight, so that should be fun. But we'll recap Bruins Lease tomorrow. I don't think this is a big game. It's being labeled as one, but two teams right before the All Star break. I don't think it's a big game. Maybe it will be. That's just my thought going into it. I think both teams will be a little tired tonight, ready to go to Cabo, or for the unfortunate people that have to go to the All Star game, go there. We'll recap that tomorrow. Lots of NHL talk tomorrow. We'll recap the AT&T Pebble after the first round, see how things are going down in Cali, and get start getting prepped for the weekend. You get UFC on the weekend, a number of different things. But fun show today. Lots of fun content coming tomorrow as well. So until then, enjoy your evenings. Have a great night, everybody. This is To The Point.